Okay, kids, are you with me? You zeroed in here? My son says no. Yeah, ignore that. Um, what families here enjoy board games? Few. What are your favorite board games to do as a family? Right here, Paxton. Checkers. Great game. Haven't played that in a long time. Can you beat your dad? Yeah. And your mom. Well, I didn't. I knew you could probably beat your dad, but I didn't think. Wow. Anybody else? Favorite board games? Settlers. Okay. Haven't played it. I know it's quite the, the, the rave. Anybody else over here? Favorite board games? Monopoly. Oh, the game that never ends. Hate that one. Anybody else? Favorite board games? Yeah. Jake, game of Life? Okay, good one. Man, it has been a long time since I played the game of life. Anybody else favorite games? One that's been popular around our house lately, a new one is called uh, Rumacube. Anybody ever played Rumacube? It's a great one. Uh, Deanna wants to say something. Surprise, surprise. What's your favorite game? Balderdash. Balderdash, yeah, yeah. Anybody else favorite game? Codenames, never heard of it. Uh, Really? Good one? Uh, we, we play uh, games around our family uh, sometime, and one of the ones that uh, my daughter particularly enjoys is Uno. And uh, she was on a five-game run this week, uh, undefeated. Let me tell you, besides getting whooped by, uh, by my daughter in Uno, let me tell you another board game that I can't stand, <laughs> that I'm terrible at. Memory. You know this one? It has the little square cards, and you put them all out in a square, and then you got to flip them over to find the matches. So it's a game of memory, right? Hate that game. Haven't won that game in 10 years since I've had kids, okay? They just destroy me at memory. Terrible at it. I don't have a good, and the, the problem with our memory game, they've got all these different versions of the memory game. The problem with our game also is that it's a frozen theme. So like I can't keep Anna and Elsa straight. I don't know which one. And then Sven and what's the other guy's name? Kristoff. Yeah. No, Olaf. I know him. I can always keep him straight. But Kristoff, uh, Sven can't keep him straight. So I'm terrible, terrible memory. Do not like that game. Okay. Anybody else raise your hand and say uh, you have memory problems. Anybody else have memory problems? I, uh, again, it's not just the game, but uh, I, I, I am a pretty forgetful person. Um, if I got to go to the store to get some groceries, hey, Ross, run to Sprouts. Yes, honey, what else can I do for you today? Um, but if she gives me a list, I either have to write it down or sometimes I have to remember, okay, it's, it's five things. And if I know the number of things that I have to get, I might have a chance to remember all of them, though. But if I don't put a number to it or some type of device to or write it down, I'm not going to remember. And all of us are forgetful, right? Maybe you forget where your keys were, you know, what I do with my glasses, and then you realize they're on the top of your head, you know? Anybody do that one? I'm forgetful. And the, the Bible would actually say that all of us tend to be pretty forgetful people. And the sad thing is that we're most forgetful about the things 
that actually matter the most. So if you look through the scripture, and particularly in the Old Testament and the first five books of the Old Testament, you see God is constantly telling his people, remember, don't forget, but remember. And that's actually the theme of this passage that we're going to look at this morning in 2 Peter. Okay, Last week, we ended our summer series by looking at Peter at the end of John. And that kind of got me thinking about Peter and who he was and what he was about. And so I began to read uh, his letters toward the end of the New Testament. We have 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And read through those, and I thought, I I would love to just spend a morning thinking about... um, this focus that Peter had in 2 Peter about reminding us, okay? So turn with me to 2 Peter. The title of today's message is Peter on Repeat, okay? Peter on Repeat, and, and Peter actually tells us the reason that he writes, uh, his purpose statement for writing in chapter 3. So we're going to go there quickly to chapter 3, and then we'll come back to chapter 1, okay, to see what he wants to remind us about in chapter 1. But look at, look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 with me, okay? This is Peter's purpose for writing, and he says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder. Verse 2, that you should remember... The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay? You catch that? I'm writing to stir you up by way of reminder so that you'll remember what Jesus and the apostles and prophets spoke to you. Why? Because you're forgetful people. You just forget a lot. So flip back with me to chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first 15, verse, first 15 verses really quickly this morning. And just kind of make some broad points. But I want to start actually with the end of those verses. So let's first again see the repetition again in verses 12 through 15. Okay? 12 through 15, Peter writes this. He says, Therefore I intend always what? To remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, here it is, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure... You may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, Peter, on repeat here, he's emphasizing this, isn't he? I want to remind you, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body. He has this knowledge somehow, as the Lord Jesus has has told him, made clear to him, that his time on this earth is pretty well coming to a close. And so in the time that he has left, he wants these believers who are scattered out, scattered about the Roman world at the time to be reminded of what they've been taught. And what does he want to remind them of specifically? We find it out 
in the first 11 verses, okay? So go to the grocery store, remember these two things. What are the two things? Here's what Peter is going to remind us in 2 Peter chapter 1, okay? Here's the two points of today's sermon. The first thing he wants to remind us is that we have divine resources. And the second thing he wants to remind us is that we have personal responsibility, okay? Don't forget, you have divine resources, and don't forget, you have personal responsibility, both and, okay? So let's look at this together. Verses 1 and 2, okay? Verses 1 and 2 really could be a whole message in themselves, okay? But I can't stand just, I got to bring our attention to this, okay? He starts this way, Simeon Peter. Simeon is kind of the Hebrew way of saying Simon. You remember Simon Peter, Jesus calls him Peter. His original name is Simon. Simeon is like the Hebrew version of that. Simeon, Peter. And look, he's described two ways. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is kind of a big deal, wasn't it? These are the original followers of Jesus and plus some others. But not only is he an apostle, but he's reminding us that whether we're an apostle or not, we're all... Ultimately, all of us are really just servants, right? Apostle or no apostle, all of us at base are servants of Jesus Christ. And who's he writing to? To those who have obtained, who have obtained a faith or received, is a better way to translate that, to those who have received a faith of equal standing with ours. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we need to mention right there? If you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus, you have a standing before God equal with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and these other guys that walked with Jesus. Equal standing. Now, last week we took a look at Peter's life and we realized, I mean, Peter's an apostle, but he kind of bumbled and fumbled and really denied Christ, right? So really, he wasn't just made an apostle because he was such great stuff. He was made an apostle because of God's grace, right? It wasn't because he was better than anyone else. In fact, this guy totally blew it. Denied Jesus three times in Jesus' greatest hour of need. But if you and I have trusted Christ, we have a faith of equal standing with Peter's. But it's not by our righteousness, it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is you attain something. In Christianity, it's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. It's Jesus' righteousness given to us. So we have this standing, not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus, by his perfect record that is placed upon us. That's awesome. And one other thing to point out, just to be thorough here, is notice how he describes Jesus in verse 1. He says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This right here, where he says Jesus is not just our Savior, but he's our God and Savior. This is one of the very clear places in the New Testament where we see that Jesus is not just some lesser God, but he's of equal nature with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is God 
himself. This is the idea of the Holy Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter here is saying very clearly that Jesus is our Savior and Jesus is God, God's Son, God the Son. Verse 2, may grace and peace not just kind of come at you a little bit, but be multiplied to you, how? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, grace and peace. There's more we could say about that, but let's move on to verse 3, okay? Verse 3, he says this, and this is where we see, verses 3 and 4, that we have divine resources. You've been saved, but you've also been given divine resources. Verse 3, his divine power. Whose divine power? Well, that refers back to verse 2, to Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, we need to reread that and ponder that a little bit. What's he saying? Jesus Christ, in his divinity and through his divine power, have given you and me, has granted to us all things. I have in my Bible, have all circled. All things that pertain to life and godliness. What's Peter saying? We have what we need to follow Jesus in this life. Now, how many of you have a hard time believing that this morning? Just me? I'm the only one that that has a struggle with that, I guess. Thank you, Bill, for being honest. I struggle with that because I feel so incomplete, so inadequate, so powerless often. But Peter is writing and he says, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what Jesus has given us, we have everything we need for Monday morning or Sunday afternoon, whatever is facing you. His divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now what jumps out at you in that verse. Anything? Nothing? What jumps out to me is that divine combination again. His divine power has given us what we need for life and what we need for following him. But he's given us these very precious and great promises. That's really that's really directed towards his word. He's given us these promises. Promises. God has given us his word, right? And as we obey his word and as we receive his promises, we become the partakers of the divine nature. Now, this is really wild, and I have to walk on a tightrope here because, boy, you, you could become heretical here if you say this the wrong way, but Peter is saying... Remember that Holy Trinity we talked about before? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? He's saying, as, as God is working in you by his promises, and one of those promises being the Holy Spirit that he gives us, 
The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. As we participate in the life of, of God through the Holy Spirit, we are becoming a part of the divine nature. Now that is a head-scratcher. We're not saying here that you and I become gods and someday we have our own celestial planet or some solar system that we're in charge of. But what the Apostle Peter is saying is that Jesus has not just cleaned our slate and given us forgiveness, but he's given us the promise of the Holy Spirit and the, the power of the word that as, as we participate in following the Holy Spirit, we are becoming like Jesus. We are participating in the divine nature. In the Eastern tradition of the Christian church over the last 2,000 years, they've had this concept of divinization, that as we follow Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we are becoming transformed. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And all this to say that you and I have not just been given salvation and a clean slate, but we've, given the Holy, we've been given the Holy Spirit and we've been given power by which to follow Jesus in new life. To break the chains that have bound us. And this is very similar to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Okay, we don't have time to go to that today, okay? But in Romans chapter 6... The Apostle Paul talks about how when we've trusted in Christ, we have been freed from the dominion or the power of sin. We have new power. The power of sin has been broken over us and we now have new power through the Holy Spirit. And so we can now walk in the newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have divine resources. Not only do we have divine resources, we also have personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. So look, beginning in verse 5, as he goes on and he says, for this very reason, now that's, that's important. As Peter is saying, for this very reason, because of what God has done in us, now God can do these things through us as we obey him. Okay, so verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So get the paradox here, okay? See the paradox here. See the both and. Peter's saying, you have been given divine, because of Jesus' divine power, you have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. You are becoming like Christ. You are not just left out there all on your, on your own to make it in this world and to try to obey Jesus. But you have divine resources. And yet, for this very reason, that is the incentive and that is the power for verse 5. 
For this very reason, now make every effort to supplement your faith. In other words, work at it. Work on your faith. Because God is working in you. Okay, that's the power and the incentive. You work out what God is working in. Do you follow? Make every effort to grow. And he gives these seven different virtues that he wants us to be sure. And it's not an exhaustive list, but these seven virtues that, that Peter says need to be growing and becoming evidence of the God who's working in us. Okay? Make every effort. So the question becomes this morning, how much effort are you making? How much effort are you making to grow and to deepen in your faith? No effort. Little effort. Incidental, haphazard effort. Or verse 5, make every effort. To supplement your faith. And then the promise, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who wants to be ineffective and unfruitful? Raise your hand. Okay, nobody ever wants to be ineffective or unfruitful. But Peter is saying, if you just sit back... And just consider, someday I'm going to grow in Christ. Someday I'm going to take my faith seriously. You're never going to be be effective or fruitful in following Jesus. Right? But if you think that all of your spiritual growth and your spiritual life depends upon your effort, you're going to be exhausted. And that's why we see here why Peter puts it this both and. Because God is working in you, that's motivation for you to work out what God is working in you. Do you see it? Uh, this guy named John Ortberg gave me this wonderful illustration that I think is such a great picture of this paradox in the Christian life of, of effort and dependence upon the Spirit of God. So he says some people treat the Christian life like a raft, And what do you do on a raft? We got to spend a little time at the lake this last week. What do you do on a raft? You just lay back, right? And the current takes you. Some people receive Jesus and they think it's it's just a raft trip. And the current of of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is just going to take us on down the deal. But other people, not so much rafters, this mentality is more the rowboaters. And what do you do in a rowboat? Man, you work hard, both oars, right? And so if you have a raft mentality, you tend to be passive. And if you have a rowboat mentality, you tend to be very active. All the power is coming from you. And neither of those pictures are a good way to picture the Christian life, and they certainly don't represent 2 Peter chapter 1. So John Ortberg says this, the best way to think about it, the best analogy is not a raft or a rowboat. The best analogy is a sailboat. Now, my kid's bedroom is dressed 
nautical and decorated nautical or anything, but I don't know anything about boating. I don't know anything about sailboats, but here's what I know, okay? When you go sailing, you got to do something. You got to raise the sail. And then you have to adjust the sail, right? But you are ultimately dependent upon what? Upon the wind. And what happens in the Christian life? We raise the sail. Okay, this is me raising the sail. I don't know what that looks like, okay? But this is me raising the sail. Help me out after church, okay? Somebody take me on a sailboat. But this is you and me raising the sail, reading the scriptures, gathering on Sunday mornings faithfully. But guess what? We can, we can gather here, we can open the Bibles, but we are dependent upon the wind. We are dependent upon the Spirit of God. So in this thing called following Jesus, we have to remember, we have to remember that we both have effort to make, make every effort, but we also are totally dependent on what the Spirit of God is doing in us. Now, which side of the coin do you need to hear on that? David Ward said this great, he has some great lines, by the way. David Ward said this the other day. He said, when you get a quarter, you get heads and tails. Oh, that's a great way to say that. And when you get 2 Peter chapter 1, you get effort and you get dependence. So which side of that coin do you and I need this morning? To make every effort or God is at work in you. By his Holy Spirit, through his divine power, transforming you to be like Jesus. Now, here's my, here's my guess. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have back, different backgrounds. We're all in a different place, different season in our Christian life. But here's my hunch. And I can't see the clock back there, Chad, so I'm just going to keep preaching until someone tells me to. Okay. Um, but here's my hunch. I think for the most part in this room here in Collin County in 2019, I'm looking at a bunch of workers, mostly. A bunch of rowboaters. And I include myself in that assessment too. People that are just trying to make it happen. Grit it out. Climb the spiritual ladder, right? Make every effort, make every effort, make every effort. You know what happens uh, to people that feel like they're the only ones rowing the boat and nobody else is helping them? They get really self-righteous and they get really bitter. And so let me caution myself and us this morning. If you're a rowboater, we are on our, we are on our way to self-righteousness and bitterness. But you know what is really comforting to people that are naturally rowboaters and self-righteous workaholics? When they look over and they see somebody else is working as hard as I am. 
That really is encouraging, right? Oh my goodness, I love you. And here's the good news. Here's the good news that I want us to see in this passage this morning, okay? There's a lot of good news in here. We can't cover it all. But here's the really good news of this passage. We look at him and say, oh, he's working as hard as I am. That's awesome. The good news, brothers and sisters, is this. God is working harder than you are. He's working in you. He's working in me. We have to depend upon his strength and upon his power. But the good news is he's working in you. And you know what the evidence of that is? That you're here. Because you're not here this morning unless God's working in you. Unless God moved you to be here. Now you say, well, it's, it's her fault because she drugged me here. No. God's working on your heart. He got you here. And that ought to comfort you. As I've battled some challenges personally and gotten discouraged and sometimes downcast, you know what has encouraged my heart of late? That God is working in that mess. That his spirit is even using that messy stuff to change me. Amen. Thank you. Because he goes on to say, make all that make all that effort, because there really is a lot of change that needs to happen in me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just me. There really is a lot of change that needs to happen. Because when I first started following Jesus, when I still first started really taking Jesus seriously, I didn't I would never say this, okay? But my basic mentality and my basic thought was, well, if I don't get drunk and I read my Bible, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> you know? Just kind of avoid these sins and kind of pursue God's word and go to church every once in a while. I'm doing pretty good. And you know what I've found in 44 years now of life? Is that this onion, as it gets peeled, there is more and more yuck. And there is deeper and deeper sin than I ever realized when I was 17 years old. So you know why he says make every effort? Because the sin that you and I have is not just what we drink, not just what we say, not the girls that we date that do those things, whatever. That was the old saying, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't date girls that do, whatever. Man, that's, that's, that's just the stuff on the surface. But sin is so manifest, is so infecting us that now I see that my struggle isn't just those things, 
But it's the jealousy, it's the bitterness, it's the desire to please people. It's the want to be seen as somebody and something. And so here's what I know. You got a lot of work to do. I got a lot more work to do. And it's been exciting to go into some depths that are new for me to work, but get this, hang on to that other one but to allow the Spirit of God to work in me. Because unless the Spirit comes, I am just rowing, 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 but not getting anywhere to a final good destination. Amen? So, it's heads and tails. It's both and, right? But there is an order And there is a priority. That's why he says in verse 5, for this very reason, okay? For this very reason. Because in Scripture, every time you see commands, okay? Check me on this. But every time you see the imperative, it follows the indicative of what God has done for us, okay? I just went into grammar and school hasn't even started yet, okay? The indicative is what? The indicative is the mood of just declarative. Wrong, Dave. Sorry. The imperative is the command. Sorry to call you out there. Uh, Forgive me. Now, the indicative is the declarative. This is what has happened, right? Jesus has died. That's indicative. That's declarative. Therefore, make every effort. That's the imperative, right? And the gospel flows like this. It doesn't say imperative and then God will love you. It says God loves you, therefore make every effort. The Spirit is working in you, indicative, therefore make every effort, right? There is an order and there is a priority for this very reason because God has given you these promises. Because God has put his spirit in you, make every effort. And then you see it again in verse 9, okay? In verse 9, if you're not growing, here's the problem, verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That's important. You need to underline that one, okay? What happens if you're not growing? Well, he mixes metaphors and he says you're nearsighted or then he just changes it to blind. Not only are you nearsighted, that's you only see here. You don't have a view for the future. Not only are you nearsighted or blind, but you're forgetful. That's the way we started, right? And what does he say you're forgetful about? You're forgetful that you're forgiven. So the motivation to make every effort is not so you'll be a Christian that everybody in your family, and your mom will be proud of. The motivation to be a Christian is because you're forgiven. It's because you're already clean. And that motivation will carry you a lot longer and a lot further than the motivation of guilt. Perhaps you're stuck Perhaps I'm stuck because of this. Because I'm blind and I have forgotten 
what Jesus in his grace has done for me on the cross and through his resurrection. That's the priority. That's the order. That's the indicative that pushes us to the imperative or the commandments. Amen? Here's what I want you to hear this morning, and here's what I want you to hear because it's what I needed to hear. Take heart. God's working in you. That mess, not just a mess, the trial that he's using to transform you, the trial that he's using to transform me. Take heart. He's working in you. And therefore, make every effort. Be reminded of what he's done and what you can do in response. So I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to read you the therefore beginning at verse 10. And we'll close like this, okay? He goes on after that powerful verse 9 and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, that though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Father God, we come to you this morning as um, people that are hurting, as people that um, are scared, broken. guilty ashamed confused and so God we thank you for this reminder this morning that you're working in us and we've got work to do ourselves I pray that you would help us to remember this to not be downcast by our brokenness, but to be motivated by your forgiveness, to press in and to make the efforts that we need to make to grow in the likeness of Jesus, assured that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I thank you, God, that you always remember us and pray that you would help us to always remember you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.